Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Um, as I said, we're in um, Romans chapter 13, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 14 this morning because they really need our attention before we move into to chapter 14 next week. And really, chapters 12 and 13 have presented us with this giant application of the gospel, right? We've looked through chapters 1 through 11, and we saw kind of the nuts and bolts of the gospel, why we needed all of that, where it comes from. And then chapter 12, we shift into what does that mean for my life now, okay? We, a lot of times we look at the gospel as that message or that key that unlocks eternity in heaven, but we don't think about how does the gospel Gospel impact, or how does the gospel relate to my life on the way to heaven? And the gospel has just as much to do before with before we get to heaven as it does with once we get there, or how we get there as well. God is working through the gospel, not just on the lost, but He's working through the gospel on His church, if we'll let Him. Right? Matter of fact, it's the gospel that sanctifies us and, 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 and purifies us before him. And that's what we've been looking at. Second Corinthians tells us, uh, the writer is Paul as well, but he says, in Christ we are new creations. And he says, old things have passed away, which means that when we get saved and we trust Christ, we're a brand new person. We're not just a better version of who we used to be. We're completely new. Right, uh, we are made brand new, and everything is about everything about us is made new, except for maybe the old body, the old physical body. I wish that when I got saved, I got six pack abs, but I got to wait for that perfected body when I get to heaven. Right, uh, so some things are not made new: our physical body, but everything about us spiritually, everything about our mindset, everything is brand new. And I find myself saying this so often because it's so powerful. Jesus didn't just come to make us better versions of ourselves. Jesus came to make dead people live because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And what's a better version of dead, right? You just, you just try to make dead look good. It's still dead, right? But when you make it alive, you make it brand new. So in other words, the gospel is not just a self-help program. And church and what we do in the word of God is not just something to make me better for myself. It is something that says that if you aren't living in Christ, you're not really living at all. And you think about what it is that we, that we kind of like get bogged down in our minds. How much, of our, how much of our daily thoughts and our energies are spent on things that are more about the old self than it is about the new life that we have in Christ. See, in Christ we're new creations. The old passed away. It's dead and gone. We're made new. And in Romans chapter 12, through the end of the letter is really this massive unpacking of what it looks like when we live in the newness of Christ. And so in 11 through 14 this morning, that's really what we're going to drill down on and look on how we embrace the newness that we have in Christ. See, chapter 12 tells us in light of the gospel, what you've been given in the gospel, consider how much your life has changed. See, in verses 3 through 8 of 12 says you've got new power, new skills, new giftedness to carry out a new purpose that you have in Christ to glorify him. And then he goes on to say you've got a new mindset to carry into everything, into your relationships with people, not just the people you like, but the people you don't like and the people that don't like you. 
when he said to love and love big and be forgiving and don't seek revenge and all those things. And then he said, you've got this new motivation or core value to guide your every action, your every thought and your every deed. And that is to love like Jesus loves. In our flesh, we're not motivated to love anyone but us. But in the spirit, we're motivated to love Jesus and to love others first. And then that begins to change the world. So in the last part of verse number, or chapter 13, the hits just keep coming. So let's, let's jump in and ver- look at verse number 11 through 14 this morning. It says, besides this, so besides all the stuff we've been talking about for the past two chapters, besides all of that, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from your sleep. Because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Man, it's one of those, this, this is one of those, those pieces of scripture that you look at and like, okay, God's not pulling any punches, right? He's telling us that we need to get down to business. See, there's, there's part of this Christian life that is wonderful because we know we're going to heaven. We've been forgiven and we are loved and all the work of grace has been done. There's nothing I can do to make God love me more or love me less. But then we see passages like this that says, but while you wait on heaven, you still have a purpose to glorify me. And it's not always easy. It's a new way of living. And sometimes we're, fo- we're, we're pressed into this thing that sometimes we just like the old way better. It was easier. It was more familiar. But here's what this text is telling us. Press on because there's an urgency to it. There's hope in it. There's directions that he's given us. And also that he has this new identity that we're supposed to embrace. So let's pray and we'll get in. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. And I pray this morning that you would speak. Father, let you, Holy Spirit, be the preacher, not me. Just be the mouthpiece today. Drive away the distractions. Drive away all the plans that we have after service where we're going to lunch, all that stuff. And let us just sit in this moment and hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Verse number 14 is really the key. It's really that, that verse that as you're looking through that, it just grabs you, right? For me it does at least. This is put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no more provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is really the goal of Christianity. This is why we're called Christians, right? Christian means like Christ or Christ-like. So he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the goal of our life, to let Jesus be everything that he's meant to be in our life and shine through us and be seen in everything that we say and everything that we do. So this past week and this next week and everything, as I already mentioned, we're praying for our teachers and for our kids as they go back to school. So this is back to school week. And for most parents, it really truly is. It's the real most wonderful time of the year. All right, especially for parents of young kids. Not so much for us anymore. We're kind of getting to that where we got older kids. We've got, can you believe it, a senior and a sixth grader this year. So end of high school, beginning of middle school, it's, we've got all the emotions and all the feels going on in our house right now, okay? Um, but, um, but one of the greatest things I love about back to school is that they're back in school, right? Because I like a routine. I like structure and all that stuff. In our house, I don't know, in your house, if you all got really excited about about back to school, but in our house, when they were younger, even when they were younger, they didn't really get all that excited about it. They're kind of meh. And shout out to those parents on Facebook 
who can get those, you can get their kids to hold those chalkboard signs, you know, this is, I'm going into this grade and all that. We couldn't do that. We barely got a picture. So be happy with what you got uh, from the Holmes Facebook account uh, this, this week too. But um, our kids, they get excited about new stuff. But this is weird. Okay, so in the Holmes house, we're a little bit different. And we're all kind of nerdy in this way. We love our office supplies and our back-to-school materials. Okay, we get serious. Back-to-school shopping, supply shopping is a sacred event at our house. All right? Uh, We've been known at times to take notebooks back because we changed our mind and thought better about something else. Okay, who returns? We returned notebooks to Target this week. And the lady looked at us like, it's just paper. But it wasn't the right paper, so we had to return that, right? So we, you, we return stuff like that, like you'll return shoes. We'll return a notebook, like a blank notebook for stuff like that. So we're kind of nerdy that way, but at least it's something they can get excited about. Um, the structure, though, is what I like because I, I thrive off of that. Summer is, is fun for a while, but then after a while, I'm like, man, I don't know what time of day it is. And both Stacy and I worked at home this summer, so we were really glad to kind of get back to a little bit of structure. And I was rereading this passage uh, this week, prepared and preparing for the message. And I guess I was just too much in the back to school spirit. So I actually rewrote this passage because it really, I just started seeing like back to school. This is great advice for students. And it's, it, it reread the passage like this. Besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from your sleep because the school bus is now closer than when you first thought. The summer is nearly over and the day is here. So let's discard the laziness of the past 10 weeks and put on our back to school outfit. Let's walk downstairs to breakfast in the morning, not in the late afternoon that you have been all summer. Put on your school clothes and don't make plans to get back in bed. So that's, that's just kind of how I started reading that. And I'm like, no, that's, so outside of it being blasphemous, you can see how much I'm just like excited about back to school. Um, it, but when you kind of go in it with that attitude, what I love about it is the routine the structure, the direction, it kind of just kind of plods you along. Stuff goes back on the calendar and it kind of stays there instead of just being penciled in and erased at the whim and stuff because I, 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 I kind of I love that. But think about it this way. As I read this passage and I look at that, that's kind of the attitude or the, the, the thing that we have to pull from this. What we are given in verses 11 through 14 is a routine of the gospel, It's a gospel routine. It's reminding us that we have a new purpose, that we have a new goal, that we have this new life that we've been given. And a lot of times we can forget that. A lot of times we can slip back into the way of the flesh and into the old man and forget that we have been called and saved to so much more. There's so much more. And by the way, it's so much better. Is it always easy? No, it's not always easy, but it is always so much better. See, why do we like the summer so much? We liked the summer when we were kids because it was freedom. There was no schedules, no homework, except now they've got to give summer work. And I don't know who came up with that idea, but they should be, on, be put on trial for crimes against childhood. Um, you know, there, there, there's just nothing. You can relax, you can have fun, except for the Nazi parents that make their kids do chores and all kinds of stuff like that. But it wasn't anything like sitting seven hours in class and looking forward to two or three hours of homework at night. It gets... The routine gets redundant. So having a little bit of freedom, having a little bit of calling that off is great. But summer life is different than school life. It has different rhythms, has different purposes, has different goals. Summer's free-flowing and it's all about you. School is structured and routine and it has expectations. So for the past, past two chapters, Paul has been laying out this new identity, this new focus, this new, this new direction that we have in life now that we're, now that we're part of God's family But what we oftentimes in our flesh want to go back to, that false freedom of thinking it's all about me. See, because it's not all about me anymore. It's all about Jesus. 
and there's a new direction and he plots the course and he takes us through these journeys of faith and he takes us through these hills and valleys where we have to trust him and it can be a routine that can begin to feel redundant, can it? And let's be honest, we are in church, right? And we know it feels hard to say, God, I think sometimes your routine is just redundant. But folks, I want to remind you that it, it's, a, it's a holy redundancy. It's a holy routine that we have to, that we have to embrace. So this morning, I want to look at that routine of the gospel. There's four stages to it this morning as we look at it. And the first thing that we have to see is that the gospel gives us a new urgency to embrace. That means that if the gospel is routine, there is a routine urgency to our life now. There's a new urgency. See, before Christ, we have this urgency, and it's all about just giving in to my desires and making sure that I'm happy and my flesh is fed and that I'm enjoying life because life is all there is. But now that we are in Christ, there's this new urgency that comes in to our lives and we become aware of. And that we find that in verse number 11. Look at this. Besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. So let's break this verse down into some smaller bites. He says this phrase right there, besides this. Besides what? That's beside all the stuff that we've been seeing and been given challenges to in chapters 12 and 13. Embracing the spiritual giftedness. Embracing the fact that because of the gospel, we now give our bodies as a living sacrifice, like it said back in chapters 12, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We're building off of what it said, and, and I want to just remind you of what it says in chapter 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in chapter 12, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God, because this is your true worship, or this is your reasonable service. Meaning this, that because we've been given so much by God, it shouldn't be that hard for us to give ourselves back to him. Because he's done so much for us, He's taken us from dead to alive. He's taken us from bound for hell to bound for heaven. He's taken us from orphan to adopted sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. Why can't we give ourselves back to him? Why shouldn't we give ourselves back to him? He says, since you already know the time, this is actually a nod to the promise that Jesus is going to return again. That knowing the time means this, that we walk with the knowledge of the fact that Jesus is returning. Our Savior one day is going to return. And the Bible says he's going to return in clouds of glory. And when he returns, he is going to set everything right. His kingdom is going to be set right. A place where Satan is defeated, sin is no more, pain and death are no more a fear in our lives. And everything is lived in complete righteousness. All the things that we struggle to do as Christians will then just be like the norm. It'll be the everyday type of thing. All the things that we wish, you say, man, I wish, I wish my church was like this, or I wish my church was more this, or I wish my family was more this. And if, if all of that is like geared towards, I wish it was more Christ-like, and I wish all of that will just be the norm. That's what God's going to do. He's going to set that up. And he says, the hour is nearing. And so that gives us an urgency to remember that this life... It's just temporary, but there's so much better to come, right? Now, none of us know what time that's going to be. Nobody knows when Jesus is going to come back. The Bible says that no man knows the hour or the date of his return. And we're also told that when Jesus does come, he's going to come like a thief in the night. That's spooky, isn't it? That Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. We've been having some uh, trouble with... Um, 
not really porch pirates, but people who come through our neighborhood at night and they'll kind of like jiggle on the car doors and find if the car door, if you can open the car door, they kind of rifle through looking for cash and looking for different things. We've been hit like three times in the past two years. Why do we get hit three times? Because we don't lock our doors. I try to remember to lock my doors, but it seems like the night that I forget, boom, they hit it every single time I forget. Now, do you think it would change my thoughts if when I came out on Monday morning, I had a note on my card, on my, on my uh, visor just saying, hey, just to let you know, we're going to be coming through tomorrow night to go through your car. Just wanted to let you know that signed your friendly car raiders. Do you think I'd probably remember to lock my car door that night? Probably, right? Because thieves, you know, th- it would be so much, security would be so much easier if the thieves would just announce they're coming, wouldn't it? Right? Or even if they left and said something, hey, over the next two weeks, we're going to hit this area. I'd probably be more vigilant to lock my car door, right? But they don't announce that. Why? Because thieves don't announce when they're coming. They catch you by surprise. We don't know when Jesus is coming. So what we, you're sitting there looking at me saying, Derek, there's a, simple, there's a simple fix to your problem. Just lock your car door every time. Be aware that there are people coming through and could come through at any moment. You're right. That's the urgency I should live in, isn't it? Or the better fixes for that is clean the junk out of the two-car garage and put our cars in there right? I got to say, every single time my car has gotten hit and has gotten, has gotten paid, the junk in the garage was totally safe. <laughs> totally safe, right? You see, there's things that we can do, but there, you've got to have that sense of urgency. And that's the thing I think we lose today is that sense of urgency of knowing that Jesus is coming again. He hasn't told us when, he hasn't told us the time, but he has told us, I am coming. So be vigilant and be on your guard. And this is where he says, wake up. Wake up. Don't sleep on the gospel. Don't sleep on the great commission. Don't sleep on encouraging one another in the faith. Don't sleep on growing and walking with Jesus Christ. Stop sleeping on the great commission. Stop saying, I'll walk. I'll start walking closer to Jesus as soon as things settle down. Or stop saying, I'll start living for Christ once I've had just a little bit more fun. Or I'll really start getting back into church once my baby's born because they really need it more than I do. That has been the harmful thought of so many adults. That my kids need it, but I don't. See, because we're sleeping on Jesus. In chapter 12, Paul is saying that the absolute miracle of God's grace and the gospel should give us an urgent motivation to embrace the new life that we have in him. It should give us an urgent motivation to embrace the new life that we have in him. That's what 12 says. 13 says the fact that Jesus is returning soon and people need to know about that return and need to know about his grace before he comes should give us a motivation to live for the purpose of seeing him glorified. See, that's the positive of this. For those who know Christ, that's the positive is that Jesus is coming back. The negative for those who don't know Christ is that Jesus is coming back soon. And we don't know when. Because that means I can't time my life out to just ask him to save me right before the last second. Because one of two things is going to happen. Jesus is going to come back or Jesus is going to return or we're going to return to Jesus. And we don't get to say when either one of those things happen. But we know it's happening. So the question that we have is, what kind of urgency are we living with? In other words, life is too short to sleep on the gospel. Life is too short to sleep on the gospel. And this is what I think a lot of the problem with the American church today is, is that we look at the gospel and say, I've been saved, I'm set, I'm just waiting on heaven. So come quickly, Lord Jesus. But we forgot about the urgency of all those other people who don't know about him before he comes.
What would best describe you right now? See, here's the thing. This means I don't want to fall asleep on the gospel. And when Jesus returns, I don't want him to find me sleeping on the Great Commission. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, am I awake and living with the urgency of the gospel and the Great Commission? Or am I asleep just killing time until he calls me home? See, that's the difference between the gospel routine and just kind of languishing out there in what the flesh would have us do. The second thing that we have to look at in this gospel routine is that the gospel gives us a new hope to embrace. A new hope to embrace. And I gotta just be, just, just be transparent. My, my personality is not one to just be a happy-go-lucky, joyful, sunny side of everything all the time. I'm more of a, if you're a, if you're a, a Pooh fan, I'm Eeyore, okay? I'm finding the, the, just the dark lining in every cloud, you know, you could tell me, man, what a beautiful day it was. And I'm like, yeah, but man, there was a breeze that blew one of my hairs out of place and just ruined everything. I, I, I can be like that, okay? But this is not what we're called to. We're called to have a hope. Part of that hope stems from the promise of the return of Christ, that we know that the hour is coming, right? Look at what we see in verse number 11 and 12. The latter part of verse number 11 of our text says, because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Here's the promise. Here's the hope. Jesus is coming back, which means our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And then he says, the night is nearly over and the day is near. So for some of you who have that, those, those wrestlings with, remember the, I can't remember the name of the Puritan writer, but wrote this book called The Dark Night of the Soul, talking about the depression that you can go through as a believer sometimes. Because you know that you are living longing for a world that you haven't gotten to yet, right? And so it can depress you that you're not there yet. And so we can get to that place. But doesn't that just, doesn't that just strike joy in your heart to see that the night is nearly over and the day is approaching, right? It's a new hope that we have. We move from the need to get into a routine of urgency of the gospel into a routine of hope of living as followers of Jesus. The passage tells us our salvation is nearer than when we first believe. What does this mean? Does this mean that, that I'm not as safe today as I will be tomorrow? No, that's, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that you're more safe today than you were yesterday. Once you're saved, you are always saved, you are fully saved, and you are completely saved. There is nothing you can do to be more saved or less saved. And you can't lose it either. But what this is saying is we are closer to our salvation being fulfilled than when we first believed. See, salvation happens in three different ways simultaneously. We are saved from our past sins. That's when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood. We are saved from our past sins, that all of those sins are gone. We are saved in our present life as well, that I'm given hope of knowing that I can never lose my salvation and I'm always in Jesus. That's the hope of his resurrection, that he is mine and then the other hope that we haven't seen yet is when Jesus returns and sets everything right or when we are in his presence in heaven forevermore. That is when our salvation will be completely fulfilled. When there is no more sin to deal with, when there is no more pain, there's no more funerals, there's no more cancer, there's no more earthquakes, there's no more tornadoes, floods, war, <laughs> there's no more elections. None of that stuff. That's what he's saying is we are one day closer to that salvation. So you want a reason to get out of bed? You're one day closer to that happening. Again, Jesus is either going to return or we're going to return to Jesus. And that's hope for us. For those who are lost, that's a scary thought. And so for us, that needs to create an urgency that we share with others the hope that we have. But what are we so tempted to do? 
We're like, we know that's coming one day, but what we do is we put that aside and we focus on the here and now and the nasty and the dirty things today and it overwhelms us and it causes us just to want to crawl in bed, cover, our, cover up and just pretend everything is gone. But the gospel routine says, get out of bed, wake up, embrace each day with the hope of Christ, share that hope with others. Because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. When Jesus saves us, he saves us completely. And here's the thing, church, that full day of salvation is coming. It either comes when he returns or when we return to him in death. What greater hope can we carry? The text goes on to say this, the night is nearly over and the day is near. So just to reiterate that promise of the fullness of salvation approaching, each moment that passes is hurtling us one step closer to this dawn of the kingdom of God coming to earth. That old song used to say, pain may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It's so important for us to keep front and center in view because living the way we are called to live as followers of Christ is so different from the way we're prone to live in our flesh that it can wear us out sometimes. It can feel difficult. It can wear on us to embrace a lifestyle of loving big when what you get in return most of the time might be hatred and rejection for your greatest efforts to show Christ. But living as a follower of Christ isn't easy. See, if somebody told you the moment you got saved that everything would be sunshine and roses, all your problems would go away, all your bills would be covered, they lied to you. See, that's not the gospel. That's a lie. And we can only thrive in truth. You want to know the truth? Here's what Jesus said. He said following him would result in treating us like they treated him. Well, how'd they treat him? Not very well if you read the gospels. And notice this, that, that, that promise that Jesus made that comes from his most famous sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 of Matthew, when he said, they will persecute you, they will hate you like they hate me. And then he says this, he said, be ready to be persecuted, slandered, hated, misunderstood, canceled just because you follow him. And then, and then Paul goes on in our text to say, it's not easy, but for all that struggle and for all that hardship, there's this great blessed hope that carries us through. Some days, all you have to cling to are hope, right? Many times we measure God's goodness by the blessings. And a lot of times blessings mean material or health or all of those things that many times people would look at who don't know Christ and say, man, life's going good for you. But God's greatest blessing is his hope that we have in him that is always there. It never goes away. It never goes away. Again, sometimes God doesn't always offer deliverance, but he offers his continuous presence through the trouble. This back to school for us this year is a little bit different because than the others have been because we've got a senior in the house. So that means that this year is going to be full of last everything, right? The last first day of school, the last first day picture, the last, you know, everything, all right? And what Natalie is thinking, can we get to the last now? Right? It's just this big giant countdown to May, whatever day that is when she gets her diploma. Right? It's a countdown. But I remember when I was a senior, it was a little bit of a different, it was just a different year because as, it, it, coming back from spring break, like senior-itis, man, it just sets in. You're like, gosh, it seems like it's never going to end. But you have a hope that's different than the, the juniors and the sophomores and the freshmen and the poor middle schoolers because this May, you're going to get out. So that countdown keeps going because you have this hope. It's almost finished. It's all may last through the night, but joy is coming in May when I get my diploma. So 
Folks, we're all headed towards a graduation date. If you know Christ. If you know Christ. What kind of hope is that giving us? What kind of hope does that give us to know that this isn't it? This is all living in preparation for that. And then that changes what we focus on in, in, in life too because if this life is lived in preparation for heaven, then what do we do to prepare for a good life in heaven? We lay up treasures in heaven. We share the gospel so the people that we love here on earth can be with us in heaven. And even the people we don't like, they need to be there too. So there's a hope that we have. The gospel also gives us a new directive, a new routine directive. Look at verse number 12. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us also walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, sexual impurity, promiscuity, not in quarreling and not in jealousy. So this part here says, discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. In other words... Since you've been given such a great urgency to see that you don't sleep on the gospel, and since you've been given such a great hope of what is to come, here's a new way to live. Here's, a new, here's some new direction for you. When you wake up and when you get out of bed and you're deciding, what am I going to wear for the day? I want you to dispel the deeds of, the dark, of darkness. And I want you to put on Jesus Christ. See, he, he mentions put on this armor of light. Well, why would he say put on armor? Because we use it for battle, right? Over in the book of Ephesians, Paul said we need to put on the armor of Christ, right? The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, all of these things. He says put on the armor. We use it, why do we use armor? We use it for protection in battle. We also use it for security and confidence in battle too. If I'm confident in the armor I have, I may be more apt to charge into battle. I may be more apt to charge into the things that are difficult because I know that I'm protected. He says, put off the deeds of darkness. Those things that are a lot of times what we would engage in without Christ and a lot of times we would engage in them because we felt like there was no way to fight against those things. Notice all those things that are mentioned there are things that we sometimes uh, like to say are addictive, right? It says drunkenness, carousing, sexual impurity, promiscuity. All of those things have addictive qualities, right? They also rival God as idols in our life. Because we think we do those things to serve us, but we end up finding out that we eventually serve them. They become our God. We go for the fix or the high or the feeling of importance that we get from all of those things. And so those are all the things, the deeds that we normally do in the dark as well. We don't like to do it with people seeing us or, know, or knowing it's going on. And jealousy is one of those things that we like to keep in the dark recesses of who we are so that nobody sees but God sees. He says, put off those deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. These deeds of darkness, as Paul caused them, become passion drains on us. You see, they're listed here because they have this potential to become these idols. And they drain our passion. When we're more focused on sexual impurity, on promiscuity, on our jealousy, on all of those things that are listed there, we can't focus on Christ the way 
we should. Because Christ is over here, and all of that is over here at completely different opposite directions, and we don't have eyes in the back of our heads to let us look in both ways at the same time. We can only look in one direction at a time. This is why Jesus said, you can only serve God or you can serve mammon. You can't serve both at the same time. So when we're focusing in on that, we have to take our focus off of him. So they become passion drains and our passion for Christ begins to wane. And then we realize, oh my goodness, I've lost my urgency. I've lost my hope because we've lost our directive. So as we move to the last point this morning, I just want to ask you this. Are there passion drains in your life? Are there things that you kind of nurture and hold on to in life that you know are draining your passion for Christ? You know they just don't jive with kingdom principles. And are they draining that passion that you have for Christ? Are they limiting the hope you have in him? Are they making you less urgent about the things of God? So as we move to that last point this morning, are you following that directive to put aside the deeds of darkness? Now let's look at verse number 14 because we see that the gospel gives us a new identity. A new identity to embrace. Number 13, or number 14. But put the Lord Jesus Christ, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So I believe this verse right here is the most powerful one in the text because after spelling out the urgency and the hope and the directive on how we get there to embrace each day in Christ, we see the key to making all of that happen. Put on Jesus Christ. It's very simple. Cling to Jesus. Invest in Jesus. Just be immersed in Jesus. I mean, can you think of anything more important to do than to put on Jesus Christ as a child of God? Paul said, put on the armor of light back in verse number 13. So what does he want? Do we want to put on armor or do we want to put on Jesus Christ? And the answer is yes, we want to do both. See, the armor is our equipment. It's our equipment. See, over in, verse, over in Ephesians 6, he says, you get this spiritual armor, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, the feet of the, uh, the shoes of the gospel, all of these things, the, 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 the belt uh, of, of purity or the belt of truth, all of these things are our equipping as we walk in a world that's not like what we were created for. See, we're no longer equipped for this world. We're equipped for the world to come and for protection and to, and to bring the kingdom come here on earth. See, that's our equipment, the armor is, but Jesus is our identity. You see, opposing forces can have the same armor. They can have armor, but they have a different identity. When they get in the battlefield, they know who their foe is based upon the flag or the crown or the colors that they're wearing. Jesus is our colors. Jesus is our banner. Jesus is our identity. When they see us coming, do they see us or do they see Jesus? See, what we wear has a lot to do with expressing who we are, doesn't it? Right? Uh, I know you know this about me, but I am not the greatest fashion-minded person you could probably ever meet, okay? I'm not a big fashionista kind of guy, okay? Uh, I've been spending a lot more time trying to pick out my outfits, not because I want to look fashionable, but because I need to find stuff that fits in my closet still. It's not necessarily based on fashion, all right? Um, a lot of the schools, you know, since we're in this back-to-school theme, a lot of schools have gone to uniforms now. But back in the day when I went to school, uh, even the conservative Christian school I went to, they didn't have uniforms up until I was in, like, ninth grade, 
Right? We went to a uniform at that point. But up until then, it was kind of like, you know, just be decent and you'd be okay. So I decided between my seventh and eighth grade year, I wanted to change I wanted to change my identity. I wanted to be a new man. So I decided to get a little bit more adventurous with what uh, I wore. So when we went back to school shopping, you know, my mom's like, okay, look at these jeans. Look at these khaki pants over here. And I brought a pair of these bad boys to her over at Target. You got that up there? I brought these bad boys over and said, mom, this is what I'm rocking on the first day of school. Now, <laughs> Natalie, what do you think about that? You would wear those. You would wear those, but should I, your father, wear those? No, 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 no man should wear these. So, but, De but Derek did. Eighth grade Derek goes off to school first day, proud as could be about this, paired it up with a black polo because I'm not crazy, all right? So walked into school expecting, you know, I'm going to turn heads, and turn heads I did. And started a lot of mouths too. I mean, girls were running from me. Guys were making fun of me and all kinds of stuff. By second hour of eighth grade, I was like, I just want to change schools. I, I, I'm like, I want to homeschool. I want to dig a tunnel under here and I don't want to be here anymore. How many times do you think I wore those pants again after that one day? Zero. How many times do you think I was reminded about wearing those pants? Every single stinking day of eighth grade. I was the candy cane man. The rest of the year. Everybody asking, hey, Derek, when are you going to wear those pants? You're going to go, oh, man, I, I think I lost them, man. Yeah, it was, it was awful. I, you know, I scuffed them up and I can't wear them anymore, you know. Um, so I, I, just, I just didn't want to wear them. All I wanted to do was be normal, man. The rest of the year, I'm like, I'm, like, I'm just wearing black and gray and that is it. That's all I'm going to do, all right? I'm still afraid to be really adventurous with my wardrobe because I can't be trusted to make the right decisions when it comes to that, okay? Um, why do I say all of this? Oh, oh and the interesting thing is, I didn't have to worry too much because oddly enough, they went to a full uniform the next year. And I have a feeling the school board talked about my pants when they made that, when they made that decision. And I was thankful for it. I was probably one of the only kids who was thankful for a uniform because I didn't have to embrace that, that horror again. All right. So why do I bring that out? Because here our passage says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We know because of what Jesus said back in Matthew 5. We know that following Jesus, putting on the Lord Jesus is going to cause eyes to stare. And those eyes may not always be friendly. It's going to cause mouths to talk and it's not always going to be good. But that blessed assurance, that urgency, that hope, all of that makes it worth it. And I love what it says again. Don't make plans to go back to gratify the desires of the flesh. Embrace the new identity you have in him. And I'm just thankful that Jesus Christ isn't as horrible as those pants that I chose to wear right? We're not talking about horrible pants. We're talking about the beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. What greater thing can we put on? Let me just say this. Because of our sins, we shouldn't have access to him in our closet. We just shouldn't. We shouldn't be able to get near to Jesus to put him on. Shouldn't even be within our repertoire, within our wardrobe, because of his grace and mercy, he made himself available to us. And shame on us when we continually say, you know what, I'm just going to keep you back there today. Not today, not today, not today. When we know every day we need him desperately. So as we close out this morning, that's the idea that I, that's what I'm asking you today. See, the gospel is a routine. It is a new routine for us to embrace every day, but we have to embrace that every single day. Why are we compelled to put on Jesus Christ? Because he put on our sin and our shame 
and wore it on the cross so that we could wear his name and his righteousness and freedom in him. He wore our sin and shame here so we could wear his name in heaven. Let that sink in this morning. This passage, as you look at it, it can seem like, man, it's just rules and regs. No, it's an invitation to embrace life that is, a, that is just full of peace and joy and gratitude in him and a life that will make a difference as we live in this world. So when I opened, I shared that passage from 2 Corinthians that says, he makes us new in Jesus or the gospel makes us new in Jesus. So let me ask you this. Are you embracing the newness? Are you embracing the newness? Are you living with a new urgency to see the lost and the broken know Jesus like you do? Are you keeping focused on that new hope that you have in him that one day he's returning? One day all things are made right. And in him, you're just as sure as if it already were. Are you following that directive to put off the deeds of the darkness and embrace the light of day? And are you living and embracing that new identity that you have in him? You see, maybe you're realizing today, you're in here, you're watching today, and maybe you're realizing that you need Jesus as your Savior because all this talk about being saved and all this talk about gospel is like, you're, you're sitting here wondering, what is, how can I be saved? What, what does it mean to be, become a Christian? How do I become a Christian? I want to tell you this, don't hesitate to come to him. When it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, for you, that means you need to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You need to accept the grace and the mercy that freely flows from Him and only from Him to save you. So how do I do that? It says, well, first you have to believe that Jesus is the Savior. You have to admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe that He's the only one who can. And then you call on Him to save you. You say, that's it? I don't have to, you know, go through classes and do all this? No. What the lost need to know to be saved is that they're lost and that there's a Savior and his name is Jesus. So if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, he will save you. Let us talk with you about that today. Or if you're, if you're worshiping virtually today, let us let's kind of message with you back and forth on Facebook or by email, whatever, because that's why we're here. We're not here to just make people better versions of themselves. We're here to tell people how they're dead and they can live. So come to him. But church, if you know Christ... Maybe you're here today and you're realizing right now, I've just been asleep on Jesus for a while. I've been asleep. I've let some things just kind of lull me to sleep. I've let some things just kind of take my focus off of him. And I just, I've lost my hope. I've lost my urgency and I need to get that back. Maybe today you should come to rededicate a life or talk to somebody or just say, hey God, I, I don't know how to get there, but I know you'll take me there if I'll just let you. So here I am. Begin to speak to me, begin to give me more hope and more peace, and have that urgency. Wake me up. The gospel, here's the thing about the gospel. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. And so for us, we don't have the, we don't have the ability to just sleep and say, you know what, next year, we'll get to it. Next month, things settle down at work, I'm really going to get real more faithful and I'm going to start sharing and start. No, we need to wake up today. So the question is, are we awake? Heavenly Father, pray that you would minister in this time and pray that you would do a work in our lives. It's your word. So pray we would submit to it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we stand this morning. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about his grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, 
please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.